Hope we spoil you guys rotten. And let them know how much you appreciate them. Hey SPC! Happy Father's Day! Hi SPC! Happy Father's Day! Hey SPC! A very happy, warm and fun Father's Day. Stay safe. Happy Father's Day from me as well. Whether you have a newborn at home or you're well on your way to being a grandpa, or perhaps you're in the wonder years, we trust that you'll have a fantastic day being celebrated by your family. Also just want to send a shout out to all the men at SBC who embody the Father's heart and pass on his love to the next generation. We trust that you will have a blessed Father's Day as well. I have two things to mention this morning. First up, next week Sunday we're going to take communion as part of our service. So please, if you need to head out to the shop, won't you prepare for that? And secondly, pencil into your diary, Saturday the 4th of July. We're going to have our next church fun night and it's going to have a special Independence Day theme. So we hope that you'll join us for that. That's it from me. I'm going to hand over to Dave and Ali Kettles and they'll pray us into the service. Morning church. It's fantastic that you decided to join us for another episode of Video Church. This lockdown madness continues. COVID is still out there. And yet, uh, despite all these challenges, our Lord is the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. In fact, this week, we've been so happy to see his hand on the lives of those in our fellowship who've been sick with COVID. Uh, many of them are doing better. Uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Please continue. We're hoping that this morning service is going to be a fantastic time of uh, fellowship, even if it's Facebook fellowship, but fellowship uh, with each other, with the Lord, and uh, listening to him as well as we hear the sermon in just a moment. Ali's going to read for us a verse of encouragement. From Zephaniah 3 verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for a fellowship that exists even when we are distant physically from each other. But thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and comforts us and speaks to us. We pray, Lord, that now as we hear your word together, that you would really stir our hearts. Help us to learn new things of you, Lord. Help us to come away rejoicing, celebrating, and more convinced of ever than ever of your love for us, your care for us in these days. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hi everyone, hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe. I am one of the elders on staff and it is absolutely wonderful that I'm able to bring to you this morning today's message that we're able to hang out and enjoy each other's company, even though it is over the internet. A particularly warm welcome to you if you are visiting us this morning. Maybe you've checked in online, uh, you've been we're scrolling through Facebook and you happen to stumble upon this message and you've stopped to listen, or friends sent you the link, whatever the case might be. We are just happy to have you with us and we hope that you enjoy the service. But also a massive warm welcome to you if you're part of the SBC congregation. I can't wait until we are able to do this face-to-face. 
that we are able to hang out, enjoy each other's company. I'm able to have some of you in my home. Those are going to be wonderful, wonderful moments. But until then, I am so grateful to God that we are able to have this platform, that we are able to hear the word of God together, encourage each other in the comment sections, and still, by God's grace, move toward one vision um, and run the same journey over this period of time. Uh, for those of you who might have missed out the last couple of weeks, just a reminder that we've been going through the book of Joshua. We are looking at a, a call to courage, um, looking at how can we live out courageous faith for the glory of Christ as believers. And so we have been doing that for eight weeks. We're in our ninth week now, and we are coming to an end. Um, and today's a little different. We're going to be jumping all the way to chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you open up there? Um, Johan and Kate Skitter um, are going to be reading us our text. Johan is one of the deacons here at SBC, and they're going to be reading the text for us this morning. I'm going to hand over to them, and then when we get back, we'll dive into God's Word. Good morning, SBC. Um, our reading today is from Joshua 23, verse 1 to 16. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. As you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. But be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations among, remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls that all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, 
and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Thanks, Johan and Kate. I really appreciate that. Uh, my first point for this morning is courageous faith is motivated by reward. Courageous faith is motivated by reward. We find ourselves in chapter 23 this morning. Last week, we looked at chapter 10. So clearly, there's a number of chapters that we have overlooked, that we aren't looking at. Um, But what has happened in those chapters? Well, in these chapters, we see the conquering of southern Canaan, the conquering of northern Canaan. We see the inheriting of the land on the west side of the Jordan River and on the east side of the Jordan River. And also, we see the allotment of land to each and every single one of the tribes besides the tribe of Levi. And uh, finally, for the very first time in the history of the nation of Israel, they have inherited the promised land, enjoy their own land, and they find themselves in a place of rest. God has graciously given them respite from war, and they are resting and enjoying and reaping their rewards of being faithful to God and uh, living out a courageous faith for them. And what we've seen really in the journey of Israel, particularly in the second generation, is that this idea of reward has been a great motivation for them to live out a a, a courageous faith and obedience towards God. They saw the falling and the failings of their parents as they lived an unfaithful life to God and as a result missed out on the inheritance of the promised land. And they learned from that mistake and had decided that they would live faithfully, that they would be obedient, that they would live a courageous faith in order that they might gain this promised land. And so they lived 40 years in the desert, wandering around, following God where he might take them. And when they've crossed over into the promised land, they had to conquer city after city, nation after nation. And they did so because they knew if they were obedient to God, he would follow through on his promise and give them this inheritance. He would give them this promised land. It has been a great source of motivation for them to be obedient. But this idea of reward isn't just an Old Testament one. We see it in the New Testament as well. Just in the book of Luke alone, we see that this, uh, uh, that reward is connected 40 times to the words of Jesus. And there'll be other passages that you might know, like this one in, in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. We've recently taught on it, so it might be, uh, you might recall it. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where must and ruts destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, cast aside these pointless things. I don't focus on earthly, worldly things and worldly treasures, but what do I want you to focus on? What do I want you to do? I'm commanding you to do this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so what we see here is Jesus says, focus on building up yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. I want you to be motivated by this idea of treasures in heaven. That's how I want you to live. I want you to live in order to get that. And so Jesus here and the apostles also, when they use the idea of reward, it's always motivated so that we might live obedient and courageous lives for the glory of God. We see it in In Matthew 6 verses 19, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He knows that if you focus on eternal things and eternal treasures, that's where your heart will be. But if you don't, if you focus on 
as storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth, that is your primary focus and aim, your heart's going to be there and your obedience is going to lack. Rather, you're going to be disobedient. We see this in our, our very own text today as well, that this idea of inheritance and reward motivates obedience, motivates pursuing after God. Joshua says in verse 11 and 13 that we read this morning, he says, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. <laughs> Not just love the Lord your God. No, be very careful. Guard it. Be watchful. Make sure you love the Lord your God. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, not ideal, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord has given you. And so Joshua uses the motivation of reward here to help them to be obedient. He says, love the Lord your God. Be very careful to love God. Why? Because if you do, don't do that, he's going to stop driving the nations out before you. There's still a remnant of these nations and he will stop driving them out. So you will not gain more inheritance. You won't gain more reward if you stop loving God. He's not going to let you conquer those people. In fact, they're going to become a snare to you, a trap to you, a whip to your side, a thorn in your eyes. And if you continue on being disobedient, you're going to even lose the very good ground that you have now. You could even lose reward. And we will see this play out in the very next book uh, in Scripture, Judges, over and over and over again. God follows through on these words of Joshua as he really is echoing the promises of God um, in Deuteronomy as well. And so we, we see here that, that reward and inheritance becomes an incredible motivation to the people of Israel and also to us in Scripture to continually be obedient so that we might take these words carefully, to be very careful to love the Lord your God, to be very careful to love the Lord your God. And what we find is that inheritance or this idea of reward motivates us to live a courageous life really well. But how does it do so? How does it do so? Well, I think the very first way it does so is it shows us what is the most valuable things. It shows us what is the most valuable things. When we have this idea of eternal reward, it helps us to evaluate the things of this world, as we've seen really expressed in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, that we are able, when we are called, like we have seen in the last two weeks, to lay aside sinful desires that make us feel good, that, are, that, are, that we are wanting to do. We are called to lay those things aside. We are called to lay aside and cast of good things that aren't God things. When we do that, we, and we're called to do that, we're able to evaluate, well, yes, I, I can't pursue after this. No, I can't do this. But what God has called me to do has far greater value. We see this with the Israelites. The Israelites, as they, as we've seen this in the book of Joshua with the Israelites, as they have been called to go in and conquer city after city, very often, more often than not, God's instruction to them was to destroy and put to destruction everything. Don't take for yourself silver and gold. Don't take for yourself fine linen. Don't take for yourself any of the best cattle. I want you to destroy and put it all to destruction. And that was very countercultural. Most nations would go in and destroy cities, but pillage it and take everything of it for its own gain and for its reward. But here God says, put it 
and destroy it. Don't take any of it. How did they have that motivation? Knowing that if they were obedient and to lay aside gold, silver, fire, a great cattle, to put that all aside, they would gain a greater reward. And when we have an eternal perspective, we are able to start to weigh up things and their value. One is temporary. One is uh, going to fall away. One I can't take with me into eternity. The other one is lasting and has a far greater value. And therefore, it helps us to have a greater uh, ability to, uh, to determine what is valuable and what is not, and therefore live more obedient lives. The second thing is that it puts things into the right perspective. It puts things into the right perspective. When we have an, uh, an idea of reward, it helps us to uh, frame things, and it becomes the lens in which we see different parts of life. It helps us to frame, have a framework to make decisions. When we realize that what God has called us to is far more valuable than our own dreams and our own desires, and the outcome is far better than us, we make decisions around what he has called us to do and not what we want and what we desire. And so it becomes a framework and a lens that we start to see our retirements a little bit differently. We start to see our work differently. We start to see our hobbies differently. We start to um, see um, our... Uh, see how our lives are are different, our our ministry is different. We start to see um, hardships differently as a result of this framework. And we start to see them not as uh, retirement, as an opportunity for rest and to go on the holidays that we've always desired, but we start to see those opportunities as how can I glorify God and live out the calling that he has called me to. We don't see work as just a simple place to make money anymore, but rather work becomes a section of how can I glorify God and live out the calling that he has called me to do. The purpose behind hobbies isn't just only to have fun, but also to create relationships so that we might share the gospel. Um, Hardship becomes an opportunity to be able to share with others the gospel who are going through similar experience than ours and to reflect and shine the light of God in those moments. And really, when we have this idea of eternal things, shapes life as a whole, and not uh, and, and the way we should see those things and do those things. And so it really does give us a better perspective on what we should do. Secondly, uh, thirdly, sorry, it helps us uh, to persevere through hardship. It helps us to persevere through hardship. We see this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. It says, um, we, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we do not lose heart. The, this, though our outer self is wasting away day by day, we've been renewed day by day, and there's this greater glory that's coming our way. And that's, and that's what we're focusing on. That's what we are going for. We are going for eternal things, not temporary things. It helps us to strive in the midst of difficulty. Again, we see this in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, a text we have seen, seen for the third week in a row. says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, those who have run great glorious lives for God before us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's going to be a hard, difficult race. We're going to have to run with endurance. Here it is. 
Looking to Jesus as our example, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was Christ looking forward and seeing the glory that awaited him, seeing being in the presence of the Father again, knowing that he would receive the reward of a bride, a, a pure bride, the church, and save us, this being his reward and his glory he would persevere through the cross. It helps us to be able to endure through difficult moments and hardship, knowing that whatever I might go through, I will continue on being obedient and live a courageous life for God because in it, I know that there's something greater that is to come my way. It also helps us to continue on doing good, uh, particularly in the season we find ourselves in now at the moment, right? Uh, we, I'm sure many of us have been really generous and looking at opportunities to do good in the season. Um, and we start off uh, going guns blazing, looking out, trying to find neighbors and friends and members of the congregation who, who might be going through difficult times and seeing how can we help you? How can we do good? Maybe you made your own soup and fed people on the street or whatever the case might be for you. And nearly or more than 100 days now into it, it starts to become tougher. We get weary. We just want to get back life back to normal. It becomes a little bit more difficult to continue on doing good things. But having an internal perspective motivates us to continue on doing good, even when we get weary and tired of the particular calling God has placed on us in this season. We see this in Galatians 6 verse 9. It says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good. Here it is. For in due season you will reap. If you do not give up, if you do not give up, so do not grow weary of doing good for in due season we reap, if you do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of the faith. And so having an eternal perspective helps us to continue on doing good, even when we feel like giving up and are growing weary and motivates us and gives us energy in our legs to keep on running this race that God has called us to run. And lastly, I see, I think it motivates us to help others to run their race well. When we realize that there's an eternal reward that is waiting for us at the end of this all, and that there is a, a, a countless amount of reward, there's not like a certain amount that's going to be rationed out depending on how much you do, and therefore there's a competitive side to this. But rather when you realize that every single person is going to be rewarded based on what they've done, it starts to encourage us to help others, other brothers and sisters in Christ, to run their race well. It helps us to, to love them and be concerned about how well they're doing this race. So we want to motivate them to do well so that they might end up receiving a reward that glorifies God greatly. This is something that we need to pursue after and go after. We see this in Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we, uh, you see the day drawing near. And so we want to encourage others to, to love well, to run this race well, to do what God has called them to do so that they might inherit this race reward motivates us to care about others and their race that they are running. So um, we've clearly seen the, the, the spiritual benefits and the moral benefits of this. 
Um, and it's a clear teaching of the New Testament for us to pursue after a heavenly reward. But the question that I, the next question we need to ask ourselves is when do we receive this reward? Well, I think the answer is twofold. Um, there is certainly a nowness to the reward that we receive. We see this in the Beatitudes, and we've taught that a couple of years ago as well. Um, is that we are called to do a certain action, and there is an immediacy to the reward of doing that action. So for an example of that would be, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There is an immediacy to that reward. Those of us who hunger and thirst for more of God and his righteousness, and we pursue after him, what do we see is this immediacy of that satisfaction. As you hunger and thirst, God will honor that, not just in eternity, but now. And so you'll feel satisfied, you'll feel closeness to God, a satisfaction that nothing else that this world can offer. And this is a phenomenal reward now. This is a phenomenal thing that we are to seek after now because it is greater than anything else that this world can offer. We see that with the psalmist when the psalmist uh, says, uh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. He is saying, man, one day in your courts, in your presence, Lord, is better than a thousand days outside of it, no matter what I've been doing. And this guy is king who wrote this. He clearly had a lovely life in those other thousand days, but he is saying one day is far greater than anything I can experience, even as king, outside of your courts. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the tents of the wicked and in all their sin because God satisfies and he satisfies now. Now, that will be uh, consummated and fully achieved and experienced in eternity. But there is even a nowness to that reward and it is something that we should seek after and strive for. But when we primarily talk of rewards, there's going to be a fullness of it is going to be achieved in eternity. There's going to be a treasures in heaven that we are going to try and gain and receive. And that is mainly um, an eternal thing where we're going, to, we're going to get it. So when do we receive that? Well, it seems to be at the day of judgment that we will receive our reward. Now, initially, when we hear that, I think there's a bit of fear that might come across us, even as believers. And I don't think we need to be because there's a difference between the judgment of a believer and the judgment of an unbeliever. The judgment of the unbeliever will result um, in punishment um, and eternal death in hell. But for the believer, there is this uh, reward. Uh, it's an evaluation and bestowing of rewards that takes place in our judgment. The evaluation of what we've done and a bestowing of reward uh, based on what we have done. There's various degrees of gifts, uh, rewards that are given based on the work we've done. And so we do not have to fear because we see this, that we're going to be judged wrongly or, or that we're going to be punished for the sin that we've done. And we know that because one, Christ has paid for our punishments. And as a result, as we see in Romans 8 verse 1, it says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ, if you're a believer, there's no condemnation that will come your way. Christ is taking punishment. He has received uh, that on your behalf and you will not have to receive that at all. We see it expressed again in John 5, verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so this judgment here, not being a judgment of rewards, but judgment based on death. 
and you will not go through condemnation. You've, you've passed through that because of who you are in Christ. Uh, so the believer's judgment is a judgment that evaluates and bestows reward and unbelievers is uh, a judge results in in punishment. But as I mentioned here, there seems to be a varying uh, uh, various gifts or not gifts, various reward amounts, degrees of reward that is given. Um, each person's is called to an, their own race and will be evaluated on that. Each person will be evaluated on what they have done. We see this in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 12 to 15. Um, quite a famous passage. It says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood, hay and straw, each one's work, each one's work will be, become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will um, be revealed by fire and the fire will test uh, what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved, um, but only through fire. And then 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must not, uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether um, good or evil. And if you look at the parable of the talents as well, what we see is that each one is a judge based on the amount they have been given and entrusted with. And if you've been, trust, if you've been faithful much, you'll be, give, uh, you'll be given much. If you've been faithful for little, you'll be uh, given a little as well. So uh, you are judged accordingly and each one given various degrees of, of these things. Now, we must be careful to guide ourselves here as well. Um, we must not think in any way that uh, our happiness is dependent on our reward. Um, you must not think that you're going to be unhappy with the size of the reward you get. You must not think that you're going to be disappointed in any way or that you're going to be jealous of others and their reward. That's just simply not the case. And I think if you have that initial feeling, it comes from a misunderstanding that you are going to find your joy in things in heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to find plenty of things that we get to delight in. We're going to enjoy ourselves in many things. There's going to be, man, there's going to be great food for us to eat. There's going to be awesome coffee. There's going to be restaurants. There's going to be sports for us to enjoy. Man, I've missed football. Football's back. And I can tell you, it's a good thing. It gives us some joy, delight in it. There's going to be sports to play. There's going to be mountain ranges to climb. There's going to be animals to see. There are going to be sights that are going to blow our mind. But all those things, while they might give us joy, they, and in, in, when including this reward, while they might give us joy, they aren't the source of our joy in heaven. They're not. And even here on earth, these things might give us some joy to delight in, but they, these, these things aren't the source of our joy. Our source of our joy is God. And so you cannot think that in one day in eternity that you're going to be sad that you've got a small reward. Not at all. Um, you, that's not going to be the case. You're going to, you're going to delight it, enjoy it, um, but it's not, it's not the source of your joy. Your source of your joy is God. And you will have a fullness of joy. You will have a completeness of joy in heaven because God will be there and you will be with him. And so guide yourself from thinking you'll be unhappy and and uh, uh, disappointed with the reward that you get, or even jealous of somebody else's reward. 
But what's also important for us, and this is, this is important for me to emphasize here, um, is that these rewards are an expression of God's grace on us. What do I mean by grace? Grace can be defined as unmerited favor, something that we haven't done. And really, actually, in the Christian walk, um, in the Christian life, let's just look at that. There are many, many moments where we can look at where God has bestowed upon us grace. At our very salvation itself, God graciously saved us. There was nothing in us that made him delight in us. There was nothing in us that went, "Mm, I'm going to choose that person in order to save. There was nothing in us that uh, made God favor us so that he might save us. Nothing at all. But rather God graciously comes and saves us and gives us eternal life. But God graciously does more things after that. He goes and he gives us purpose. He gives us a life that we ought to live so that we might live a purposeful life for his glory and the extension of his kingdom. He could have just saved us and left us to waste our lives away, but he doesn't. He graciously calls us to live a glorious life for his glory and that is going to have an impact on eternity. But he doesn't just stop there because he could have called us to do that, but not equipped us to do it. But God graciously equips us with spiritual gifts and strength so that we might achieve that purpose. Because we know that as as Christians, as humans, we are unable in our own strength to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Hence the fact that Jesus had to come and save us. We are unable in our own ability to do godly things and live up to the standard that God has called us to do. So God saves us. He graciously calls us into a purpose. And then he equips us and strengthens us to do that purpose. And then somehow, for some reason, after he's done all these things, he goes and he graciously rewards us for him saving us, for him giving us a purpose, and for him helping us achieve that purpose. God graciously gives us a reward. And so we must never think that we are somehow going to walk around eternity with our reward and be prideful boasting with it because we didn't earn it. It's going to be something that was graciously given to me and I did not deserve anything, but God, he graciously gives me this reward. I'm not going to walk around flamboyantly or uh, strap my stuff with a sense of arrogance because look how great our reward is and look how small yours is. That's just not going to be the case. You're not going to walk around with a sense of authority because you have done greater things than somebody else. That's not the case at all. No one will abuse their authority in a sense of pride because none of it will be given to them by their own merit, but only by the grace of God. And this was so important for me. And if you've tuned out, I want you to tune back in again. And if you've missed all that I have to say, this this has been massive for me. Because the question that we often have, and you might be feeling this throughout this whole preach, is, Joe, why do I need rewards? Like, that's great. I don't care about rewards. I don't, I don't need it as a motivation. I, I don't want it. I just want to get to heaven. I just want to get to heaven. And that's all that I want. And I've had a similar attitude like that before as well. Though God commands us, clearly Jesus commands us to live with rewards in mind. And so it's just an obedience thing that is required here. But for me, the thing that has clicked over in my head this week that is massive for me is that this reward that I will receive will not be about my glory, it will be about God's glory. What do I mean by that? What I mean is when I receive my reward, 
it will give glory to God, not glory to me. Why? Because when I walk around eternity with this reward or I get given a reward, when others see it, they're not going to go, wow, look how great Joe was. No. Why? Because that was graciously given to me. I deserve none of it. But rather what they will see is they will go, wow, God is incredible. God was able to take this Joe, this, this wretched sinner, this vile, purposeless person that was going nowhere in life, was going to waste his life. He was dead in sin. And God graciously saved him and was able to use him to achieve what? That God was able to take this person, this Joseph, and, and use him so that he might achieve this? Wow! And the glory is given to God, not to me. And, and so I desire desperately to have great rewards in heaven, not because it will be a boast to me, but because it will boast the graciousness and the love of God that has been bestowed on my life. That they will go, oh my word, I cannot believe that God was able to achieve that with him or with her. And friends, if anything, Hear me here. If anything to motivate you to pursue after rewards is not that it will be for your glory, but it will give glory to God for all eternity as people will be constantly blown away that God was able to use a sinner like you to achieve something like that. And your rewards will be a testimony to that. That has been massive for me this week. Going, Lord, man, I don't want a reward so that I might boast in myself for eternity. But I need a reward that I might be a source of boasting because of your glory. That people will look at me and glorify you. That you could take this, this person, Joe, and use him so much for your glory. So I just want to conclude this. I implore you, like Jesus did and like the apostles did, so maybe just take their their encouragements and command more than mine, but to run this race, Sterling, run this race in order to win this prize. And if you have this mindset, man, it will help you to value the important things of this world and and choose the right thing. It will help you to frame your whole entire life in different decisions and sections of your life so that you might live it well for the glory of Christ, that you will not waste a part of your life. It will help you to endure through hardship so that you might run for the glory of Jesus. It will help you to continue on doing good things and not grow weary of doing good things. It will help you to love others well and be a source of encouragement to them and spur on brothers and sisters in Christ and to pursue the life that God has called them to live. But ultimately, your reward that you will receive out of your act of obedience and courageous faith will be a source of glory to God because people will be blown away that God was able to use you to achieve that. And they will praise him because his grace is sufficient and good and mighty and his love never failed. And your reward will be a testimony to his goodness and his grace. Let us pray. Our Lord, Man, you are a gracious, gracious, gracious God. Lord, that you would would look upon us with love 
and that you would come and send your son Jesus to die for us, that Jesus, you would take on the form of man so that you might save us, these sinners that don't deserve anything other than your punishment, but you have bestowed upon us your love. Oh, how, Lord, you are, you are wonderful, you are great, you are deserve of all our honor and our glory. And so, Lord, we, we look and we see how you graciously saved us, you graciously call us into a life of purpose, you graciously empower us to do so, and will graciously reward us as well. And, Lord, we want to run this race of endurance with our mind fixed not on earthly things, but on eternal things, because in doing so, Lord, we might have the right perspective, we will live a life of obedience and courageous faith, we might not grow weary of doing good, we will run through even hardship, and we will encourage others to do so. But more than all of it, Lord, we want to be a source of glory to you. We want anything that we receive to be a wow moment, not because we have achieved anything that is worth our value, but because you have achieved it all through us. And people for all eternity will look and see what you were able to achieve through sinners like us. May we run this race of endurance for you. In Jesus' name, amen.